Faith Hogan is an award-winning and best-selling Irish author of nine contemporary novels, the latest of which is The Gym Sister's Promise. Her books are for grown-ups, feel-good women's fiction which is unashamedly uplifting and inspiring, but doesn't dodge the hard questions. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today on Binge Reading, Faith not only talks about the Jin Sisters Promise, her latest heartfelt family story, but also because it's the Christmas season and she's got a Christmas book out. It's called On the First Day of Christmas. We've got our usual book giveaways. This week, a special book offer of 40 sweet and mild romances to be won in our latest book sweeps draw. Many of them in this library are Christmas or holiday themed, plus if you get with it a free e-reader, total value $450. And we've got a special launch offer on my latest book, Susanna's Secret, which was published just last week. All the details on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find the links for all of those offers and competitions. You can support the show by becoming a Patreon supporter for as little as a cup of coffee a month at patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash thejoysofbingereading. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a comment online so others can find us too. But that's it for the housekeeping. Here's Faith. Hello there, Faith, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Oh, Jenny, it's lovely to be here. It really is lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. You've been described as writing women's fiction, which is unashamedly uplifting and feel good. And you're an award-winning, best-selling Irish author of nine contemporary fiction books. The ones that we're focusing are the last, most recent ones you've done, particularly there's a Christmas one that you're going to talk about, but also The Gin Sisters Promise, which was published earlier this year. You've said you particularly enjoyed writing this book. Now, why was that? It's like all of my books. Basically, they're all based around where I live. So very much with the women's fiction, it's about sitting in the chair and losing yourself in the characters. Characters tend to bring me on a story. I also have written crime and it's a very different process. I hate to say, but it's a joy to write them. And I think that comes across in the books that people would find them quite uplifting to read. They're just uplifting. I, I set out to bring people up rather than bring them down with the books. I just think we all need something to escape into at the moment. We're yes. living in times. Certainly, yes. Now, this story revolves around three sisters, as you might guess from the title. They promise that they will always be together and support each other during a particularly traumatic family event. And then life upsets their best intentions. What drew you to this particular conflict and subject? Honestly, it's the relationship between sisters. I have a sister and we're very close, but... We had seen in Ireland a lot. I don't know if you, if your readers or your listeners listen or follow Irish history, but very often there's been cases in Irish history where families have fallen out. They've been very close, 
and then somebody dies. There's a will, there's an inheritance, and the family can just split in parts. My story, I wanted to turn that on the head. So what I've done is I've turned on the head by bringing two, three sisters who were very close as children. Life has come between them somewhat. A man, marriage, a career have all come between them. And then they have to return to Ireland to bury their father. When they do that, there's a will. And instead of the will separation, it actually tries to bring them back together. Yes, it's a lovely story. And it's a perfect way too, of how families sometimes do get divided because of the labels that we put on one another as we're growing up. One will be regarded as the achiever and the other will be the dreamer and that kind of thing. And then sometimes we tend to fit the labels that have been put on us. And to a certain extent, that happens with some of your sisters. Was that part of what you were aware of as you were writing it? It kind of was. I wanted them to be not opposite each other, but definitely I didn't want them to be heard as they would run in parallel. I wanted them to each to be in a safe place where they could envy the others, but they were so different that it was very hard for them to see behind that facade that life was not exactly what they thought it was for the other. And by having them quite different, I felt it was easier to achieve that. So we have the girl who's very career driven. We have the sister who really just wanted love. And then we have the sister who wanted to be an actress and was for a short while an actress. And then <laughs> I think she dug the visual ball for herself and ended up maybe not being successful anymore as an actress. She becomes successful in other ways. Yes. The uplifting label is a great one to have, particularly in these times, but I do think that it may also undersell the depth of your books a little bit because you deal with deep and painful emotions as well, don't you? Yes. There's no doubt about the fact that a number of my books, you will require a good big box of tissues beside you as you're reading them. <laughs> but ultimately, I think the uplifting thing is about the spirit of the characters I write about. It's about the fact that while life may be coming against them for a while, that they, by themselves or with the help of other people, maybe people that they least expect to help them, eventually triumph. And I think that is where the uplifting part comes in. And I think that when we look around us and we look at maybe adverse and discouraging going on in our world, it's that ability of the human spirit to triumph. And I think that's where we find encouragement and that's where we find our uplifting things that can yes. smile on our face, you know? Yes. <gasps> you mentioned at the beginning that it's situated close to where you live. Tell us a bit about that landscape because it does very much feature in the book. There's a real sense of the place there and it's a long way from London and the bright lights, but it's got its own power and beauty. I live in the west of Ireland. I live in a small town with about 8,000 people in my town. And within a 10 mile radius of that north, south, east and west, I have the Atlantic on one side. We, to the north, there's the North Sea. We have a beautiful forest nearby. It's the second largest forest in Europe, just down the road from us. We have the richest salmon river in Europe running through our town. And it's just one of those places where you're endlessly inspired by the landscape. And I suppose for me, the landscape is almost like another character. It's like a distinct character in the book. It's a character that can bring out 
emotion in other people. It's almost like a device that can use to mirror people's emotions and mood and events that are happening or about to happen within the work. And I think it's very powerful and it's certainly an inspiration. Yes. I hope it comes across as readers' feedback a lot just about the actual place. It resonates particularly with people who were Irish and have left Ireland. I think it makes them a little bit homesick. <laughs> Not the intention. <laughs> you mentioned about us being in some tough places, particularly in this last couple of years, and you have had a number of commentators who say that you're very much in touch with the times, and there's even people who say things like, you are the right person to read. You've got a feeling for what's been going on in the pandemic. Can you comment a little bit on that? How has the pandemic affected you personally or your town very much personally? I think in Ireland, we're very blessed. There's no doubt about the fact that in the Southern Hemisphere, you seem to be very well prepared and reacted very well to it. You really chose everything up and that worked very well for you. But for us, it's not quite as simple. We're linked to Europe. We have trade going over and back with people coming in and out. But I think people, the vast majority of the population took it all very seriously. And there was a great outpouring of caring towards people who were left fortunate, particularly people who were compromised. And I don't know that we ever expected to see that. Do you know what I mean? Our teenagers who we think really don't care about anything. My teenagers took it very seriously. And I suppose when I look back to being maybe 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, we would have been in the North if we couldn't get out for a weekend. And our children, they just didn't need the house for six months. You know, and, and every other child was the same. Our children weren't specifically brilliant above any other child. I just think it gave us all a pause for thought. And I, I think we developed an empathy for people who actually couldn't go out. You know, elderly people, people with lower immune systems and stuff like that, people that we wouldn't have been aware of before. I just think it made us stop and think. I think that maybe was a terrible thing. There was terrible things happened, but I also think it did make us reflect. And I never think that's a bad thing. And how did you convey that in your books? Ah. I, I'm not so sure how I convinced the books, but I do know that I watched other writers and some writers really struggled with silence. For me, I suppose it's the thing of having time to think. Now, it meant that my house was full of people. We weren't at school. People were meant to go, they went to college last year, but we were at that time when we probably should have had a much emptier house. But I suppose it, it makes you more aware. It meant that I got more writing done somehow or another. And I wrote things, I didn't write things about the pandemic, but I did write about the times we were living in. And I put a note in the book just around the fact that I, I didn't mention masks or hand sanitizers or the fact that we nearly washed our hands away, you know. But at the same time, I think we've all been hugely affected by it. And I think every single book that was written in the last two years will have been hugely affected by it. Whether or not we want to recognize it is, is quite another thing. But I, I think that that level of thoughtfulness that became part of our lives that maybe we didn't expect, the fact that there suddenly we could hear ourselves think. Yes. And a good time. 
Interesting that you could hear yourself think in a house that was fuller than usual, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's because we live on a road where there's traffic constantly coming in and out of town. And suddenly there was no traffic. And sometimes we can walk out of our door and I will walk on a five minute walk from town and I can walk into town quicker than it'll take to drive it because the traffic is just bright. And all of a sudden there were no cars in our main city here in Dublin. There was a fox should walk down our main street, Grafton Street. And there were unreal times for everybody, you know, we were all just thrown. Everything that we thought we knew was thrown up in the air. And I think for a writer that's very rich, that's full of possibilities for us. Do you know what I mean? Because it skews your perception a little bit. And I think that's a very rich place for us. Your other recent release is the Ladies' Midnight Swimming Club. Now, this book has been quite a breakthrough book for you on Amazon, I believe. It's still selling as a very popular title on Amazon. And as the title indicates, it is about a group of ladies who have this slightly eccentric habit of going swimming at nighttime in the dark. Tell us about this one and the genesis for it. The Ladies' Midnight Summary Club is one of those books that I was writing for about a year before I told anybody about it. <laughs> I suppose in New Zealand and in Australia and places where it's actually warm, you can swim all year round. But there's been a phenomenon here for the last maybe 20 years, but it's become really prevalent in the last three or four years where women have taken to swimming all year round. Now, here that means in, in our Celsius weather, that can be anything between zero degrees and five degrees which I'm not really great on the conversions, but it's very, very cold. And yet you'll see women and men, particularly retired people, you know, at that stage where we're all much healthier and we're much more active now than we were maybe 20, 30 years ago. And people have more time on their hands. They're retiring younger. And there's a phenomenon, dry robes. The dogs go and I look like that is such, it's rich kickings. It's <laughs> like uh, well, I had in mind a character and Elizabeth is retired. She's a doctor's wife and she has spent her life basically tied up in her purse and her twin set. And she's never really had the chance to breathe. And all of a sudden she walks down the beach. She sees her friend who has always been quite free. And Joe burned her brow before she actually needed one at all. I think really. <laughs> she's just a breath of fresh air. And one night Elizabeth walks down the beach and she decides to herself, I'm no longer tied by this man who wasn't a very nice man. And she takes off on her clothes, she jumps in and suddenly she is free. And the book goes from there. And with this, there's a lot of good done for the community as well. And I think that was very important because it ties in. While Joe is a wonderful character, her story is not a happy one. But it does resonate. And it's really central to the book. I did cry writing sections of it, and I know people have cried reading it, but I would still say it's an uplifting book at the end because it's about community, it's about friendship, it's about love, and ultimately it's about women having the opportunity to express themselves in a way that they maybe wouldn't have been able to prove. So, yeah, it's been great fun. <sighs> yes, it's been likened to that movie, The Calendar Girls, which is about the middle aged ladies who made a nude calendar for charity, the one that made it into a movie that Helen Mirren starred in. That's and nice. you can see this book having a similar 
pathway, really. It could easily become a movie. Yes, that's right. It's also really about having second chances at life, isn't it? All of your characters, well, nearly all of them in one way or another, are overcoming something from their past and, and creating a new life out of the ashes. I do believe that you're never too old or too young to have a second chance. I do believe that most of us going through life, that we all, everybody deserves a second chance, but I also think that most of us actually need a second chance because we're living longer, we're much better educated, we're no longer settling for one job for life, we're no longer settling for one husband for life. <laughs> and I just think there's so much opportunity because women are aging much better than we did in the past. And there's a whole second life opening up in front of people. And I don't know why we wouldn't take that second chance. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's important to write about it. I think it's important to talk about it. I think it's important to read about it because I think that it gives us the permission if we don't already realize we have it to go out and take it. You know, yes. I think that's really important. Yes. Just following up on a, a rack that you made a few minutes ago, you mentioned dry robes. I presume that's what we call wetsuits. Is it the same thing? Well, in Ireland. It's been a bit colder in Ireland, surely. And um, when you come out, it's like a quilted coat. Oh. It absorbs the wet, but also it, it's actually warm. Oh, I um, see. And it's really cold here. You know, the water is really cold. And then it's still cold. You don't stay in for very long in wintertime. If you read the book, there's a lot about how the cold in itself is actually a factor in that whole freeing thing for Elizabeth. It's so cold that the thoughts that held her back before are actually stopped in their tracks. <laughs> and so it's an opportunity to wipe the page fresh and start again. And she can see things differently all of a sudden. Now tell me, did you experiment with this yourself in researching the book? <laughs> I am not a great swimmer, Jenny. <laughs> I am cat of height and depth. But I did actually go down and sit in the sea for a while with my daughter sitting beside me thinking this is wonderful and the dog jumping in and out wondering if she should rescue me. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. And it's funny because even this summer now we've gone down again. I'm not going to go out every day of the week with my dry robe. It's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I did and I really, really enjoyed it. And I can see why it's so popular. Now you've also got a Christmas book coming out. Is this your first Christmas book? It is really, I suppose. I did have another book set in wintertime. It happened around Christmas, but it wasn't specifically a Christmas book. But the publishers are really marketing this as a Christmas book. It's called On the First Day of Christmas. And it plays out over the 12 days of Christmas. Well, I play a little bit faster next to the day. So there's about 14 days in my Christmas. But who wouldn't want a longer Christmas? And it's basically. The publishers are, they're billing it as a kind of, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Sliding Doors. Oh, yes, I think I do know where people swap lives. It's the story about a girl who comes out of work on Christmas Eve and she's a nurse and she witnesses an accident. And in that moment, she has to make a choice whether she'll actually go with the person who's in the accident back into the hospital or just say she can't and go home. And part of her really wants to go home because she's about to get engaged, she thinks, to maybe not the love of her life, but the love of her life that she settled for. Um, or or just maybe not go home. 
and do the right thing and stay there and help out and do what she's always done. She's always been there to help. And so in that moment, she can't decide. Her life splits into two. And so the reader gets oh, to yes. follow her. So we followed that path to the very end where it's, yeah, I've watched yeah. it anymore. No, that's great. Oh. Christmas books are becoming quite a phenomenon, aren't they? What do you think people look for, particularly in Christmas books? I don't know. I've been out talking with the drug sellers in the last week or so, and for me, the Christmas book, I always read the Christmas book on Christmas Eve. And so I would go out and buy a big, may have been she or a big dear to person or just a big book with tinfoil on the cover, possibly blue, maybe a bit of pink. Uh, sometimes out in the big house, Trisha Ashley, you know. And I always had to do that. Point. I thought I would love to write a book that somebody would sit down with on Christmas Eve and really get lost in. I just... Because I've enjoyed it so much myself. And I think, I don't know if people are writing big Christmas books anymore, but I thought I'm going to give it a shot and see how it turns out. And I had time over lockdown. I did, this was an extra book I wrote over lockdown, over the various lockdown periods that we've had here. And I really enjoyed it. I just escaped into it. I just got lost in it. I didn't know if the publishers would want it because it's quite different from the other books. It's characters are slightly younger there isn't an older young dynamic in it it's very much uh, 30 somethings characters in it I think it'll appeal to older readers but it's a different kind of book there's a little bit of magic in it and uh, yeah that's why I wrote it I don't know if people do the Christmas books anymore but I know for me as a reader Christmas Stephen's Day here or Boxing Day I hope to sit down with a nice Christmas book that's lovely. And before we move away from the books to just talk a little wider about your career, tell us about your crime trilogies that I think you may have started your writing career with under the name of Geraldine Hogan. So people can look for those crime trilogies set in Limerick Island. Tell us about those. So I suppose, like most writers, I was writing for a long time before it got published. I had always wanted to write a novel, but I had never been brave enough to take one on because I just thought, gosh, it's a lot of words. It's a big commitment. And like that, every writer I think starting a novel is afraid to go to fail. And then for years I read crime. I read crime, crime, crime all the way through, except for at Christmas when I read my Christmas book. <laughs> and I started by writing a crime book. And my first crime book wasn't, I don't think it was very good. But I was on maternity leave. I had time. I, I ended up just pouring myself into this book before the babies. I had twins and before the babies survived. I had quite a bit of time off before I just quite sick with them. And uh, I wrote it, put it away, didn't think about it again. And eventually I did take it out again. And I sent it to an agent. And she at the time was looking, I think, for an Irish crime writer. And she really invested her time in me. I wrote two crime books. And they didn't go anywhere immediately. And we left them to sit. And then she said to me, look, would you try something like women's fiction? And sure, I nearly fell off the chair because I had never thought I could write women's fiction. And crime books sat there for a little while. But then eventually our publisher called Brookature bought the two crime books. So they're for sale still on Amazon. Um, there are two parts of a series. They're set in Core Valley around young girls 
Irish called Irish and her sidekick Delaney, who I love. And they are, Limerick in Ireland would be renowned as a city that would have quite a high crime rate. It's a beautiful city. It's a very historic city. It's quite a distance away from me, but I just thought it would be the perfect place. There, there was no crime share here at the time in Limerick. And I did quite a few trips down to Limerick and I'm really proud of them. I enjoyed writing them. They were a very, very different process to writing the women's fiction. There was a lot more planning where the women's fiction just, the characters kind of take off and they bring you where you're going to go. The crime fiction was a lot more planning, but I really, I'd write another one. I just have to get around to it. <laughs> yeah. So moving away from the books to your wider career, tell us a little about how you manage your writing day. Your children are probably a little older now, but how do you manage to combine a very busy family life with writing? It's different. It's funny when you start out. In the beginning, I wrote and I worked and I had small children. And so in the beginning, I would get up at maybe five o'clock in the morning and write before the children got out of bed. And it was lovely because it was quiet and it was like a little bit of heaven at the beginning of the day. And then I would go into work. I worked locally and I would go into work every hour. The course, I've already got my day's work done through. This is great. And then as time went on and the children started to get a bit bigger, I had a little bit more success. I ended up job sharing and taking time out doing different things. And now I write full-time. When I say I write full-time, it's funny, but instead of writing first thing in the morning, I lock parts of the year off to write. Or the idea is that I would lock parts of the year off to write and parts of the year to edit. It doesn't always work like that because edits come in between. Um, but I walk the dog in the morning and then I sit down and I start writing. And that's my day until I go and get children from school. And I, I love it. It's a great privilege to do, to do that. Do you have a particular place you write in? You're looking at me <laughs> <laughs> at my desk at the moment. My daughter rearranged my bookshelves recently by colour. So I have no idea where anything is at the moment. <laughs> So it's basically at the desk and I have a view of the back garden and I'm at the very end of the house. So I don't really hear anything from the rest of the house. The house is very quiet and I'm quite a bit away from everybody else. So it's perfect. I just love this room. I have some nice pictures on the board that I like that nobody else will want. let me hang anywhere else probably in the house. <laughs> and I tend to write here. Sometimes I just sit in the chair and sometimes I'm sitting possessed. This is the joys of binge reading. We do like to ask our authors what they have read in the past, if they are a binge reader, and what they're reading now that they'd like to recommend. You sound like you've obviously mentioned you've read a lot of crime. Have you got wider tastes as well? I do. Uh, I am rereading Penelope Fitzgerald. Penelope Fitzgerald? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. They brought out new editions and they were all different colours on the spine. And now that my daughter has rearranged the bookshelf, I go, I don't know where anything is. <laughs> so they put them all together, but not anymore. So I'm rereading that. That's lovely. I just finished uh, The Ink Black Heart. It's the new one by J.K. Rowling. She writes as a crime writer. Robert, Lade, Robert Lador, is it? Yes. 
Yes, and that kept me busy for about two weeks. That was a big fat book, but it was very, very good. And then I love Rachel Joyce. Do you like Rachel Joyce? She wrote her and right? I don't know her work, no. And I love Joanna Karen. I got that early as well. That was a really lovely book. She wrote in trouble with goats and sheep. And she wrote this one was a tidy ending. It was really good. And then I recently reread The Reader on the 627. I read that several times and I really like her. It's French. It's translated from French. It's The Reader on the 627. John Paul, Dudy or Laurie. A very eclectic in what I read. You probably read very widely as well. I do, yes. Yes, it's interesting to me because we do, for the listeners, we have the video going and you've held up every one of those books as a paperback book. You don't read digitally? I do. My Kindle is actually up in the room because what happens is sometimes I buy the book as a book to read. And then I will then buy it on Kindle because sometimes I will wake up at maybe one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and I don't really want to disturb anybody putting on their light. So I will not admit this to my husband, but I bought the J.K. Rowling book in hardback and on Kindle. I don't even want to think about the price, but it was so cool. Very many of those books are written on Kindle as well. That's lovely. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing you could change about your writing career, what would it be? If there was one thing I could change, I think there would be two things. I think I would have started probably earlier if I had the confidence to submit some of the pieces that I wrote earlier. I think that would have been very helpful because I think I would have known a lot more. I think I've learned more from the opinions of others than you do when you're just writing in sort of your own echo chamber. When you become a published writer and you write a few books, you begin to know your own work. You start off knowing what you want to write and sometimes you can work with people and they can feel that they want to start you into something else. I suppose I'm nine books in, it's possibly time for me to be able to say this. But I'm beginning to find my own voice and I know what I want to write now. And I suppose I would look back and see things that I've changed in my books because I thought I should change them. And I think if I had known myself better, I wouldn't have changed them. And I regret mm-hmm. changing them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I regret writing things up at the end where I would have rather leave them a little less shows. Mm. I think age and I think time and I think experience teaches you those things. Tell me, what is next for Faith the Author? What have you got on your desk looking ahead for the next 12 months? I am in the middle of editing a summer book for next year. It's called The Guest House by the Sea. And I have started a book that is still under contract to come out in 2024. And that will be a summer book. It will be very much along the same lines as The Gin Sisters Promise. And then after that, I have a free desk. And I'm really excited about that because that means I will have finished my contract with my current publishers. And it means that I have free reign. And I have a very exciting idea that has been kind of 
playing around in my mind for a long time and I'm really looking forward to going and start on that. You can't give us any hint of what that one is like or what is it a different genre? It'll be slightly historical, very much based here locally. It will be partly based on real events that happened at the end of World War II and also possibly based a little bit in the present. It'll be half and half, I think. And I have a little bit of research. I've got quite a bit of research to do, but I've already started some of the research on it. It'll be a bigger book than I think what I've written before. It'll probably take me a bit of time. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but every swap that I sit down, I think, oh yeah, okay, that's another piece. Sometimes books are like jigsaw puzzles. I don't think I've ever experienced one quite like this, or it's just, I get pieces and I write and I have a board in the corner and I just stick pieces on it and it's just cool shit else now, but yeah, very excited for it. Well, that sounds lovely. So it's really basically a dual timeline, probably. I think yeah. Do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you online? I think the biggest thrill, I think, when my first book came out, I remember I got up one morning very early and there was the message. I'd never really done social media before I became published. And the biggest thrill for me, this woman had contacted me from Hong Kong to say she, she'd read the first book. And she really wanted to talk about where it was set, the location, because it was so different to where she was. And I think, you know, the way that there are some things that just remain with you. And that morning I was on my own and I just wanted to do a dance from the kitchen. And I knew if I did, I would wake everybody up and then my moment would be gone. <laughs> so those moments, yeah. So yeah, I do. I love hearing from readers. I love talk to readers because because readers talk about books all the time, and that's really all I want to talk about is books. I have to pretend to want to talk about other things. So I'm on Twitter at as Ger Hogan, source at G E R Hogan. I'm on Facebook as Faith Hogan F A R. T-H-H-O-G-N author A-T-H-O-R and I'm on Instagram as Jake We're going to put all of those in the show notes for this episode so people will be able to find you if they are interested in following through with that. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Faith. It's been very interesting for us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Next week on Binge Reading, we've got our Encore episode. That's the episode where an author who's already been on the show returns with their latest book. Next week, it's Karen Swan, the specialist Christmas book writer. Last year, she was on at this time with last year's Christmas book. This year, it's The Christmas Postcards. Set in a snow-covered Cotswolds village, The Christmas Postcards is a cosy, escapist, festive delight. From Sunday Times bestseller Karen Swan, and you're going to love it. That's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Happy reading.
Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Bye.